Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome back, and welcome into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and it is so good to be back. Today, you're listening on the best podcast network, the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It is so good to be back. I had a little hiatus there of about a month where I took a break. If you listened to my last episode, you would know that. And it was just to rejuvenate, just to, you know, get that feeling back of a new podcast. And I had I had gone about eight or 70 episodes of that first season, and I'm calling this season two. There's a new look to my podcast, also a new little sound to my podcast at the beginning, as you can see there. And the Believe team has helped me a lot in getting me back to this podcast, getting me back to my ways of talking about ATP tennis. I thought it'd be a good time to do it because there were some tournaments going on, and then I'd come back right before Roland Garros. Now, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about Roland Garros in this episode, but there will be another episode where I will break down my preview of Roland Garros and who I think is going to win it, which could shock some of you, might not shock others. But that's what I'm going to break down in that episode. But, oh, it feels so good to be back. I'm so happy to be podcasting again. Over the last month, I've really took some time to step away from podcasting, step away from, you know, this platform, and step away from the daily grind of podcasting. You know, the the people in the podcast industry, especially with Believe, you know, it, it can be such a grind. And the way that other people put out content and the way that podcasters really pound content and make sure they have content and really they're just so creative I have so much respect and admiration for those people and being gone for a month and coming back is really just rejuvenated me and I feel so good to be back I don't really want to talk about that as much as I want to kind of jump back into this podcast and what we should be talking about now like I mentioned it had been just about a month since I last had a podcast, and right around that time was the Masters 1000, that is Monte Carlo, and that tournament is one of the most beautiful tournaments on the tour. If you look at pictures of Monte Carlo, it looks right over the water, there's cruise ships all over the background, beautiful red clay, and it's leading you right up until the French Open, so it's one of those first big Masters 1000s right on clay, and it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sight to see. Now, let's break it down a little bit. Now, this tournament is a little bit unfair to some of the players on the tour just because they practice and most of them live in Monte Carlo. I think uh, Vavrinka lives in Monte Carlo. I believe Tsitsipas plays there a lot. I believe um, Djokovic lives there. And I know a lot of players play there a lot. Now, with the Rafael, N- uh, Rafael Nadal Academy going up, a lot of other players play there. Um, in Spain with Nadal and at his academy, but there's a lot of people that play or and or live in Monte Carlo. Now this tournament was stacked. You go, you know, it had guys like Djokovic, it had guys like Sitsipas, Nadal, Sverev, Batista Gut, Bertini, Schwartzman, Rublev, Gafin, Karina Busta, Hercoc, Dimitrov. I mean, this this tournament had names, right? And so there was a lot of expectations for this tournament. And for it to go the way it did was kind of surprising, not 
yeah, surprising. Not not surprising. It was surprising. Um, Djokovic loses in the round of 16 in the third round to Daniel Evans. That was shocking. Then you have guys like, uh, you know, Sferov loses to Gafin. And then the biggest upset of the whole tournament, I think, was Rafa losing to Rublev on clay. Now, granted, Rublev's been playing really well. But for Rafa to lose on clay, especially in Monte Carlo, was kind of shocking just because, um, you know, that's one of his big tournaments leading up to the French Open. Now, he'll, you know... Be, play really well in Rome, and he'll be really well in Spain, as always. But still, for him to lose at Monte Carlo kind of raised some eyebrows, especially early on in the you know clay season a little bit, kind of kicking off the clay season a month and some change until Roland Garros. Now, this tournament had a lot of big names in it, but the names that were in the finals is going to be Stefano Tsitsipas and Rublev, a couple young guns playing in the finals. And Tsitsipas was just too much for Rublev. He gets that one 6-3, 6-3 for a Masters 1000 title. Um, and he was, the, I believe, the four seed at that tournament. So for him to come in there and play that way, especially you know early on in the clay season a little bit, very impressive. That's another name to you know watch as we move forward into this Roland Garros, which I'll get into in a different episode. But after that, it was Barcelona, which is a Masters one or 500. Sorry, Rafael Nadal wins that tournament. And then the Serbia tournament that had um, that the Serbia tournament, which is kind of a home tournament for Djokovic. He's the one seed in that. He ends up losing to Karatsev. Remember that Karatsev name? Aslev, or Aslan Karatsev, who was a breakout in the Australian Open. Yeah, the Russian. He ends up beating... Djokovic in three sets, which was kind of shocking because it's your home tournament. I I was a little thrown off by it. Not a little. I was a lot thrown off uh, by Karatsev beating Djokovic. But nevertheless, he does. Berrettini ends up getting the win there in Serbia at that ATP 500. Now, there are a few other tournaments that rounded out the month of April a little bit. You look at the BMW Open that was in Munich, and then you go down to Portugal, and they're both ATP 250s. The really only thing you need to know about this one is the singles winner in Munich ended up being that Nikolos Bashlashvili, which if you remember, I believe that is the same guy that beat Roger Federer at the Australian Open this year. So take what you want out of that win, but Bashlashvili seems to be still playing very well in the ATP Tour. Granted, that's an ATP 250, and there are not a lot of big names are playing in that. Because of the next tournament I'm going to talk about, which is Madrid. And this is the Mutual Madrid Open. And it's right before the other Masters 1000. They're both Masters 1000s. Um, right before the big ATP Masters 1000 that is in Rome, which is the Internazionale BNL di Italia. I'm, my last name is Italian. I don't speak a lick of it. And I have no idea how to say any of those words. So I apologize to the whole Italian culture for just obliterating what I what I was just supposed to tell you. Another big name in this tournament that goes down early, I just talked about Djokovic going down early in Serbia. Nadal loses again in the quarterfinals this time. He loses to Sverev. So he just lost to Rublev in the last tournament, loses to Sverev in this tournament, both Masters 1000s. You'd think he'd play a little bit better, but he loses to some of the young guys. So then it starts, you know, popping in your head about the about just what's going on here. Is Nadal really the Nadal that's been here before? It, 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 you start getting questions, and you start questioning whether he's getting questions about how he's playing. But Sverev dominates this tournament. He ends up beating, beating Berrettini, who just won in Serbia 
in the finals. Uh, another big name, Daniil Medvedev. Throughout the entire clay court season, Medvedev can be seen. He's a two-seed here. He can be seen saying he just hates clay, so I kind of ignore him for the whole clay season unless he just plays unreal at the French here coming up, but he hates the clay season, so you can do with that what you want, but I don't really expect much out of Medvedev in the clay season. I think he's just looking forward to grass, which is right around the corner. All right, let's head over to Rome. Now, Rome was a really good tournament. Rome's a beautiful tournament as well. All those tournaments over there are very, very pretty. Now, this one went a little bit more as planned. You get Rafa and Djokovic both make it to the final, and it was kind of a back-and-forth final a little bit. Ends up going three sets, and Nadal wins this one uh, 6-3 in the final set. Now, somebody in this tournament I also want to talk about is Dominic Team. Dominic Team was a four-seed. He loses to Sinego, and Sinego... Um, actually, Lorenzo Sinego, young gun, is actually playing really well leading into this French Open. Like I said, he just beat team there in Rome. Uh, you know, couldn't make it terribly far in that tournament, but nevertheless, beat Dominic team on clay. That's a pretty good accomplishment. Now, I don't know if that's a knock on team or a good job to Sinego, but I'm going to give it to Sinego. I'm going to choose the glass half full type approach to this one. Now, this is, this next tournament is Geneva. And this is the return of Roger Federer, and he's just getting back into the game, which I'll get to in a little bit. But he ends up, he gets a bye first round, and then he gets to the round 16, and it's ATP 250, and he loses to Pablo and Duher. And he loses in three sets. I think it was a really long match. I watched a little bit of it, but Roger Federer loses pretty much first round to, you know, an unranked guy. So take with that what you want. It's his first tournament back, so. You can either love it or you can hate it or matters what kind of Rafa or Roger fan you are. But that's kind of what happened there. Casper uh, Ruud ended up winning that tournament. Casper Ruud is playing really, really well. Um, let's go to Lyon, France, which is another ATP 250, and Sitsipas wins that one. So Sitsipas playing really, really well leading into this French Open a bit. Um, a couple things I really want to talk about. Uh, on this podcast, like I just said, Casper Ruud's playing really well. In one of those tournaments, Isner actually beat Andre Rublev, which is shocking because Clay should not be Isner's place to to win. I hate saying that because I really like John Isner, but I mean Clay and the, his style of play just don't match. He, the fact that he's you know six nine, six ten guy, big serve, yeah, that does really well on grass and hard court, but on clay you got to be able to move and last and last and last. So I don't know how he beat Rublev. I don't know where it came from, but nevertheless, he did. Um, another one I want to talk about is Nadal. This is kind of in the Nadal playing like okay throughout all these tournaments. You know, he, he only wins one Masters 1000 and really didn't play great in the other ones. He had, he had a really tight match with Shapo in one of those tournaments where that's another thing where it's kind of like Isner and Shapo shouldn't... it. it not shouldn't his clay court game is not his game let's just put it that way he's more of a hard court guy he's more of a Wimbledon guy on grass and I think he even says in an interview Wimbledon's his favorite tournament and he likes faster surfaces so for him to push Nadal in one of these tournaments is kind of shocking a little bit and should raise some eyebrows now I'm gonna say you know I'm gonna probably say some things about Nadal that a lot of people aren't gonna like um, I really like Nadal, but it's kind of like a LeBron effect. When you are that good, the expectations are much higher. And so that leaves a lot of room for a lot of people to, you know, 
you know, LeBron can play at the MVP level every year, but he's not going to get MVP every year because other people are going to play really well. And they expect that from him every year. We expect Nadal to win all of these tournaments. We do. And that's just how it is. And so when he struggles against Chapo or he loses to Rublev or Zverev, all that stuff on clay, it raises some eyebrows. Um, let's keep moving forward here. Another, another guy in Rome on clay that played really well, Riley Opelka, somehow made the semifinals. I don't know how that works. I believe he played Nadal in the semifinals and lost in two sets. But another really, really, really tall guy makes the semis in the you know, in, in a clay court tournament in Rome. So maybe this is a time where some of the tall guys, some of the notorious fast court guys are going to start playing really, really well on these other surfaces, um, specifically clay. But you never know. Maybe these could be flukes. Maybe they just are playing that well, or maybe other people are just tired because last year they didn't have a, they didn't have a season like this a year ago. They were all sitting at home doing nothing. So this could also be, you know, a product of the environment they're in, a product of the training that they, or the lack of training they've done, not to the fault of their own, but just being getting into an entire full season here with playing a lot, a lot of tennis in the last, you know, nine, 10 months, starting with the U.S. Open last year. Now, I'm kind of breezing through a lot of these tournaments just because um, they've already happened a while ago, and I'm just trying to, you know, get to them and give you what you need to know about them leading me to Belgrade, which the champion was in Serbia, is Novak Djokovic. He won his 83rd tour-level title um, in, for the Serbia Open. You know, he lost the other Serbia Open, so for him to win this one, I think he'd already had coming. Why is he playing an ATP 250 right before, Ro or right before Paris? Who knows? But who really cares? It's Novak Djokovic. He's the best player in the world. He can do whatever he wants. So he won that tournament, and then that leads us to Parma, Italy, which is won by Sebastian Carta, and he's the American. He's unbelievable. He's zooming onto the scene of tennis. He's so young. I believe he's like 18, 19, maybe 20 years old. He's not very old at all, but for him to win that tournament, leading into the French Open, very impressive. Actually, the ATP just put out the other day, who is your surprise winner? Who do you think is going to shock the world at the French Open? And Tommy Paul, the American, goes Sebastian Corda. So he could. I'm, I'm expecting maybe him or a tall guy or someone to do something here as we lead into the final tournament of the clay court season. Now, a couple other headlines I want to really get to. Um, a lot of other things I just want to get to in this podcast just because I think it's necessary. And I just want to make sure I keep everybody up on what is going on in the tennis world. Let's start with Novak Djokovic reached the age of 34, and he's not too far behind Roger Federer when it comes to titles and age. So happy birthday, Novak. That happened during our time away. Um, a lot of people talk about his age and how many majors he's going to get. He doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. I don't think age is really a factor for him. I would say it's more of a number, as some people would say. Um, Indian Wells is returning. It's coming in October. That tournament was originally going to be in the spring, this spring, like it normally is, but it got canceled due to COVID, and a lot of people are wondering if they're going to have it at all. Well, tennis is returning to paradise at Indian Wells in Palm Springs, California in October. That'll be after the U.S. Open. I think last year that was about the time the French Open happened, so I think it's kind of just like taking over that spot this year, but that'll happen. The Western and Southern Open 
that is also part of the U.S. Open series, um, more so than Indian Wells is, but that happens before, um, announced that they will have full fans. So that is good for fans of the United States if you're listening across the world. Uh, I don't know what travel restrictions look like or what they're going to look like, but I believe this tournament, Western and Southern, is at the end of July or very early August. I believe it's right before the uh, the U.S. Open, actually. So speaking of the U.S. Open, the U.S. Open also announced that they are going to use Hawkeye for all their tournament courts, which I believe would include Arthur Ashe Stadium and Louis Armstrong. So just another way that technology is literally taking over our sport of tennis. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I don't know how I feel about it because, you know, it's kind of taking away the human aspect of it, even though you can challenge. I thought humans did a really good job at calling line calls. But if that's the route they want to go, I mean, they used it a lot last year and it's going to have less people on the court. I get it. But that's a lot of jobs that you're taking away from, you know, from the U.S. Open, from the people, from the umpires, from the people that have worked so hard to be there. So um, it's pretty much taking a career away probably for a lot of people and a chance for a lot of people to, you know, travel the world. Uh, it's just interesting decision. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I feel like it only takes one mess up for them to try to bring humans back. But at that point, if they've already taken them away, are they going to be able to come back? Are they going to be able to do it still? Are there, are there going to be certified ones they can find around the world that are good enough for a Grand Slam? There's a lot of things that goes into it. But the people at the U.S. Open know best. And I guess last year it worked well enough where they said, let's just bring it on all courts. So that's what they're going to do. And I guess we'll roll with it as... As it happens, I don't know. I don't really know how I feel about it. I'm not necessarily for it. I'm not really against it. Um, I'm kind of indifferent about it. It just kind of is a bummer. It's taking a lot of jobs away from a lot of people. But maybe that's another thing is, you know, money's tight in the sports world. And so they, maybe they can't pay all those. I, I have no idea. I'm just throwing that out there. That's part of the news. And I thought I'd get that out there. Um, another thing, Borna Chorich, he had sh sh shoulder surgery. Oh, I'd say that 10 times fast. He had shoulder surgery. And so he'll be out for a little bit. He posted on Instagram not too long ago that he underwent surgery. Everything went well, and he's moving forward. So that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. And that's why if you're a Torch fan, you haven't seen him in a while. Now, here's something a little interesting. Now, when Roger Federer returned to Geneva, he had an interview session. And you can listen to it, actually, I believe, on either Tennis TV's Instagram or ATP's Instagram. Actually, let me check. It's actually on the Tennis Channel's Instagram. Now, if you want to listen to it, listen to the back half of it. You can listen to the top half, but I'm going to talk about the back half of it. Um, ben Rothenberg, who I've mentioned on this podcast before, he's a freelance writer for the New York Times. Uh, he gets in on these questions, and he asked Roger Federer this question about um, Roger Federer is a part of this agency, right? This, that has agents. This is how I believe it. Okay. This is my take on it. And it's called team eight. And he kind of helps start it. I think with another agent or it's, it's his agent and it has a lot to do with it. Anyway, they used to represent Alexander Sverev. Well, they don't anymore. Um, Sverev left the agency and this was kind of all around when, you know, Sferov had those charges against him for misconduct with women, right? With his ex-girlfriends. And so they asked Roger how he felt about it. Was it his decision? He ultimately said it wasn't his decision. He doesn't get involved in decision-making. But from what he knows, Sferov needed a new start, okay? That's the beginning, easy answer to it, right? Now, as Ben asked another question, he asked, well, do you think the ATP 
should have, you know, should this be a punishable offense or should they do their own investigation on players having misconduct of this kind of sort? Because all the other sport, major sports leagues do. You look at the NBA, the MLB, the NFL, and the NHL. They all have, you know, they look into when players do things. They, you know, look at Ray Rice. Look at, you know, all these other players. Joe Mixon, that was in the NCAA. But still, when he got in the league, they looked at what he did. And, and this happens everywhere. Um, in all of these leagues, if anything comes up with somebody, it's investigated by the league, and ultimately they decide if there should be a penalty, and that's beside the legal action that could be taking, right? So Roger, Roger kind of pondered on it. Didn't really, know, it seemed like he didn't really know how to answer it, right? And what it kind of came down to is Roger goes, "Well, I don't know if we can do that in tennis because we technically don't work for the league." You know, he's like, we're kind of all free. This is kind of, this is, you know, me talking about his answer, but it pretty much said, you know, we're all freelance workers and we don't work for the league and it's such an international sport. I think this is a, you know, if misconduct and stuff like that, we kind of leave that up to governments in their own governments to do something about that. And after thinking about his answer, I get his answer and I get why Ben asked the question because all these other sports league do do things about it, but the ATP is so different maybe the only other one is golf and I'm not really sure what golf did in the whole Tiger Woods thing because that was so long ago but this is not the Tiger this is not really relatable completely to Tiger Woods thing but I don't really know how the ATP could do this technically because the tournaments are paying the players right the ATP there's a lot of loopholes and a lot of question marks in this and that's why I, I struggle answering it but that's what Roger pretty much said is he's you know, we we should just leave, maybe leave it up to the governments. But, you know, he was kind of on edge about it of just like, I'm not really sure how to answer this question because I'm also not really sure how this should be handled, right? And because the ATP isn't like the other four major sports, but it is, but it's not. So that's something to think about. You can go watch the interview. Like I said, it's on Tennis Channel's IGTV. Um, I'm sure you can find it anywhere, but I just thought it'd be an interesting tidbit when it comes to something like that. And it was news in the world of tennis. So I want to just touch on it. Um, I didn't really give anybody an answer about it. I just kind of told you guys about it. I don't really know what I think about it. Um, it's just really something interesting and it's about the ATP tour. So we got to talk about it. Last thing I want to touch on, on this episode is I usually like to end with gems life. Now they're engaged. I, I'm not sure if I touched on that at, at the end of last episode. I, I believe I did, but if not, they're engaged. If you didn't know that, they're engaged. Uh, Guy Monfils and Alina Svitolina. Well, they did a challenge a while back where they were hitting a ball and Monfils was just at the fence and Svitolina was hitting the ball, like a couple balls at him, like right next to him. One skimmed his head almost, whatever. So they, they released a video a couple weeks ago and you can find this literally anywhere. And they're practicing with Roger Federer on clay. And so Roger starts hitting it, right? And they go, all right, well, you know, can you do this, Roger? And so he starts hitting it. He misses the first two by, like, really far. Like, wasn't even close to Monfils. Third one, looked like he hit him right in the place you don't want to get hit if you're a man. Hit him right in the groin area. But I, it might have hit, you know, his stomach more. I don't really know. But it was it was hilarious. And it's good to see Roger having fun again. You got to watch the video. Um, but it's good to see them back. And it's good to see them playing, um, you know, with Roger Federer and stuff leading into the French Open. That's the show. That's the episode. 
thanks for listening this long. I know there was kind of a lot to get to. I didn't want to take too much of your time, but I also wanted to get to almost everything that I wanted to talk about in this first episode back. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. If you look at my podcast and look at the photo that's done on it, that's actually done by Kendra Sersosimo Creative. She killed it. She did an amazing job. Um, I love the way it turned out. That was almost a month in the working. Um, I wanted to make sure it looked really good, and it looks phenomenal. So shout out to her for doing that. I really, really appreciate it. And um, let's keep this thing rolling. The French Open's right around the corner. Thanks for listening. Reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram, anywhere you want, or at Believe Podcast, any of that jazz. Let's get going. French Open around the corner, Wimbledon around the corner. It's about to get hot in the Northern Hemisphere, and the weather's going to be good. U.S. Open's around the corner. Boom, Indian Wells. Next thing you know, it's going to be October. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Roland Garros preview is coming up here not too long from now. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.